Straight out of the heart of Texas, here come the students of conflict, helping you become a better Malifaux player and reach the top of the podium, one game at a time. Welcome to Students of Conflict. We are Clay, Nick, and Doug. Hello. Hello there. And we are trying to become better Malifaux players, leveling up ourselves and hopefully leveling others up as well. We normally do that by interviewing top third players from the Lone Star Conference, playing in Malifaux tournaments across the U.S. But sometimes we pull in other players from those tournaments too, like tonight. We are not trying to capture these folks' entire tournament journey. We just want to take an in-depth look at a single game from each of our guests. What were the key decisions that they made before the game, during the game, and now that they're looking back at the game, what were the things that they learned that they can pass on to others? Our basic format is to interview the guests all at once, just as soon as possible after the tournament, where it's still relatively fresh in their minds, and then we can get some good cross-flow between the guests. And then rather than publishing one long marathon podcast, we break it up, releasing one individual podcast per guest, helping people level up one game at a time. Today, we're speaking with Doug and Nate. Hello. Hello again. Again, yeah. This is Doug's first time in the guest chair as opposed to the host chair. So that's super cool. Anyways, these guys came in fourth and first at the Railroad Avenue Rampage, which was held in Bellingham, Washington on the 29th and 30th of April, 2023. And we're going to be releasing our discussions with them as episodes 9A and 9B. All right, Nate, thank you so much for joining us here at Students of Conflict. Completely appreciate you coming on with us this evening. I'm really happy to be here. No, it's awesome. That, uh, so first of all, congrats. Uh, you went undefeated at, uh, at this tournament. And uh, so congrats on that. Uh, number one out of 23. This was not a small tournament by any means. And so uh, uh, just huge congrats to you. And uh, thanks uh, in advance for sharing some of the lessons learned uh, uh, with our listeners here and with me. So yeah, <laughs> no problem at all. We really like doing with first with uh, first time guests is just kind of. Could you tell us a little bit about your gaming background and how you got into Malifaux and what factions you played and you know your first master? Just any of that. Tell us about yourself, would you please? Yeah, definitely. Um, I've been playing tabletop RPGs for like fifteen years almost since like mid teenagers teenage years um and that led into just kind of a lot of the tabletop communities in general and eventually one of my friends um got just fell head first down the the malifa rabbit hole in second edition and uh kind of grabbed me along and pulled me down with him um and uh that that was the start um my first, I believe my first core box, like my first crew back in 2E was Leviticus. Um, but the first crew that I really like played and stuck with and really enjoyed was uh, Hamlet back in 2E. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Still a favorite. Um, I'm actually working on digging into the crew a little bit more and trying to make it work at a competitive level in third edition. <laughs> Oh, that's cool. It's very, very different what is it, doing. What, what is it that you like best about Hamlin? Like, what, what, what is it that drew you, I guess? I, I love the... I love the vibe. I, I love the character of Hamlin the Plagued as a villain. He's just a really fun, like, almost cartoonish villain for me. 
Yeah. Um, Mustache and, twirl. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. He's he's out here <laughs> causing the apocalypse um, because he wants everything to rot, I guess. Um, but also, like, I've always been very much a fan of the more macabre and and uh, my 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 players in the DM in the D and D game I run would call uh, would just call my aesthetic goopy. Okay. Um, <laughs> um and so i've always been very drawn to the vibe of stuff like hamlin like, like leviticus um von stuck that kind of thing yeah um but also i just really like like the gameplay loop of in second edition creating these rat swarms um and leveraging the obey mechanics of second edition um and it's changed massively since then but i do really enjoy slapping things for injured six that can be really yeah. fun uh no that's great well we're super glad that uh that you got into malifo originally and that you came back for third edition and that uh, <laughs> again like i mentioned earlier that you're on the show tonight so so thanks again that uh, uh for kind of our formal and i put air quotes around formal uh our icebreaker question for this episode that uh so we kind of base this on a question from personal glitch and uh, Brian is a, a frequent guest of the show and and did our uh, card management special. But uh, so his question, I'm not asking this question tonight, okay? Personal Glitch's question was, did you vote for each other for best sportsmanship? And if not, why? And this is, he's asking you, but it's also to Doug because Doug, uh, you you had both had a chance to play at the same tournament. Um, but uh, so we're not asking that question. Instead, we do want to ask though, like what qualities do you most appreciate in an opponent? You know, uh, not who did you vote for, for best sportsmanship, but what kind of qualities were you looking for there? <laughs> I voted for every single one of my opponents. Hell yeah. <laughs> no, I, I didn't have a bad game. I loved everyone I played against myself. Yeah. Same. I had, I had a great time in the tournament, but um, I think that, I think I have two answers um, because I personally try, try to draw a really strong line between a competitive game and a more casual uh, kind of just playing for fun game. And that's partially because our meta is very split in that way. We have a lot of players who are either very new or not really interested in playing hyper-competitively and are more on the on the playing cool models and doing keyword stuff for fun. And a bunch of, a bunch of players that are very competitive. So on the competitive end, I really like when I can tell that my opponent is really giving everything they can to the game and to sort of the respect of the, of the competition. The idea yeah. that, that we're showing each other everything that we can get, we can do in this moment with the game that we've, we're both here to play. Um, and then on a more casual level, I really respect and enjoy the ability in an opponent to, to work, the ability to work with your opponent to create a a, a a game where you're both having fun and able to, able to talk um to your opponent in a on a on a uh out of game level about kind of what's going on and what you know before the game what you're looking for in the game what you're what you're here to do tonight type of thing and then in the game you know making sure that everything is uh is jovial and is because sometimes people can fall into that trap of like uh, the, I, I just got totally blown out by this thing. This is really getting, uh, they can get in their own heads and start having a bad time. Um, and so as an opponent, I find it's, uh, 
I think it's really, really good to be able to pull people out of that, out of that headspace a little bit and remind them that we're here to have fun. Yeah, no, that is great. So super. Thank you very, very much. Appreciate that answer. I spend a lot of time teaching new players at our uh, meta. So a lot of my opinions are shaped by that. Yeah. But it's, it's also cool. Cause yeah, you can go from the teaching new players all the way to, you know, yeah you know winning you know undefeated out of 23 you know that's pretty hua so so anyways no it's great to have zero and one four oh and one i won't take okay i won't say i won undefeated (laughs) undefeated yeah so so certainly having a lot of new players in a community is yay that's that's a wonderful thing to have when you get a lot of new players but being that person who is teaching new players a lot of time it does shape the way you look at the game absolutely and that knowing the, hey, new players don't want you to, you know, full on pull your punches all the way. But also knowing how to not stomp them hard and make them not want to come back. And that's a fine yeah. art between giving them a game that they feel, yes, this is a competitive game, but not to the full point of the hey i'm gonna grind you into the pavement that's a that's a fine line to walk yeah yeah i i i personally really really dislike sandbagging myself or or intentionally misplaying or or doing that to facilitate someone winning and so i usually very often approach the new player games with a uh with an intent of giving them the best setup I can to win, giving them the most information that I can to perform well and have a good time, um, kind of based on how they react to my process of explaining the rules of the game to them. I can often pick out, like, you're going to have more fun with this henchman hardcore crew than this one right now. Um, so I, I've got a uh, question for I, you then. I am currently, um, uh, I have not won a henchman hardcore game against a new player in the last four months. So I'm doing well on that. That so you tend sense. to um, put, uh, for new player games, you start them out with a henchman hardcore. Yeah, usually I'll start new players on a henchman hardcore. Most players, I find, will play that one henchman hard- hardcore game and then will almost immediately graduate into a full scale game. Um, but I, I find that henchman hardcore, just because it's a smaller scale of models, provides a... You have less models to worry about, less power level with masters to worry about, and a little bit easier to get a better grasp on the fundamentals of the game. And I tell people outright that, you know, this is a this is a format that is kind of designed for, in my mind, learning and coming into understanding of the game. And your next game can be a full scale game because the masters are really what people get excited about, but. You know. Do you tend to, uh, for that, that henchman hardcore, do you tend to pick out what crew they're going to be giving them or wait for them to bring something to the table? Or it's like, hey, I, these are the henchman crews I've got ready to go that make for a good beginner henchman hardcore game. That's The last one is usually what I do. I have a, a set of, like, I think five um, henchman, henchman hardcore crews that I will kind of rotate between and present you I'll usually present a new player with two or three that I think will uh operate on sort of the speed that they're running with um usually I almost, I offer almost everyone bandit um I'm an outcast player and so I have most of the the crews I have are outcast stuff but um there's 
some players are very obviously more interested in the interplay between mechanics, and so I give them a more complex option to play with if they seem like they are able to handle it, and that's the fun they're looking for in the game. Yeah, that's great. Um, the the uh, last question I got since you know, hey, it's not often I'm Please. talking to someone who've got the is the uh, other person who happens to be a teaching the uh, intro stuff, and I always love to know how other people do intros. So you said you hate sandbagging it against a new player. When it comes to uh, that, you're playing against a new player, full size game. What crew do you like to bring for yourself? Where you don't have to sandbag it, but it's not, you know, you're going to stomp their teeth in. Um, my default is uh, usually Parker 1. I think that, that Parker 1 has a lot of options and is really interesting to play with and against. Um, but also isn't... Has a lot of things that you just can't really easily power through without hiring out a keyword. Um, and that's the other thing I often do, is I'll hire mostly in keyword. Um, that first game with, with people. Makes sense. Um, but honestly, a lot of the new players, after their their Hardcore game, they'll play somebody else in the meta for their first game. Um, and I haven't had... I haven't, I have, nobody's come back to me reporting about experience with that yet, which I think is a testament to the, the folks in our meta. That's a well-built meta then. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. And kudos to you for, for bringing that up. And... and uh... Uh, whatever. I just, I, I always appreciate everybody who's doing teaching games because none of us would be here if it wasn't yeah, for somebody absolutely. gave us a 100%. teaching game, you know? <laughs> and so uh, you get the whole pay it forward thing. And again, thank you very, very much. So on behalf of, of everyone you've taught. <laughs> so yes. uh, excellent. All right. Uh, I would like to talk about a game of Malifo though. And, and I mean, this is, this has we been a great discussion, but, uh, but let's shift to uh, what game are you talking about here? Which round and why? Uh, I'm talking about round four, um, okay. which was um, a an outcast mirror match, which I thought was fun. Sweet. And uh, but but why this round? What's what's like the big lesson or theme that that our listeners are going to get out of out of talking about this this round here? In this, in this this round, I was able to I was able to leverage game knowledge really hard in this this specific game because I was playing into a crew I know fairly well, and they were playing a bunch of models that I know really well. Oh, okay. And was able to just kind of play my own game around what I exactly knew my opponent's tools were. Um, but they still managed to surprise me with some really interesting picks and some really interesting uh, plays that I had not seen and that I kind of want to try on the table. So. Oh, that's so cool. Because you're like, I know this, but then you're yeah. like, ha! <laughs> but you don't know it like I play it. And uh, yeah, it was no, really fascinating. Okay, no, I'm totally looking forward to hearing about that. So, already, so before the tournament, that uh, uh, you chose Outcast, obviously, is that, uh, uh, and, and clearly an Outcast player, but was that, was that just a no brainer? Have you been dabbling with other, with other factions or? I've, I've, I've been dabbling. Um, I, I am definitely an Outcast player primarily, but I've been dabbling a little bit in, a little bit in Rezzers and a little bit in Arcanists. Um, okay. I've been kind of, I, I have a problem with models um, and oh, buying them. Oh, we all do. There, um, I don't think but, there's anybody listening to this that does not. <laughs> for so. sure. But I actually, at this event, I picked up from someone else in the community who was liquidating some models, uh, like two and a half Arcanist keywords. Wow. So I have all of Tony and most of Colette and like the 
I think the, I think, I think just the core box for uh, for Mayfang. Okay. And technically Ramos because of the second edition models, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna subject anybody to Ramos. I miss Ramos. But yeah, I've been I've been branching out and exploring, um, and really enjoying doing that. But Outcast was definitely my my home base, and Von Schill especially is my most confident and most played master. Okay. So as you were looking this at this round before, you know, you're kind of prepping for the tournament and Ambrose gets the gets the pools out and you're looking at this, was were you thinking Von Schill for this one? Were you thinking did you ended up soloing Von Schill for the whole tournament, right? Was that kind um, of the almost. plan? I okay. my my plan going in was I I was planning to mainline Von Schill the entire game the entire tournament and I had Tara in my back pocket. Okay. Um, I ended up playing Tara round five. Um, okay. which obviously worked out um though yeah that game was very scuffed but um yeah von shell is definitely one of my most where, where i'm most, the most comfortable in a competitive setting and i knew i was gonna be going into a bunch of stuff i didn't know what i'd be dealing with like uh like marcus <laughs> like um, a bunch of marcuses yeah <laughs> yeah there were there were like, like four marcuses at the at this sh- oh south of the table it was crazy it was a free fest <laughs> so funny to me um but yeah so so Von Schill was was looking at the at the pools ahead of time. Von Schill was was my like easy pick for this round. Um, okay, just because I'm able to control the center of the board pretty effectively, and Frycore into Carvapath is gen- very much a space control game. You want to control as much space as possible because what you have basically any model in the keyword can kick leap kick. It's just a matter of who's okay. going to do that. Because uh, you have the leap on an upgrade. Oh, got it. Yeah. And you spin them around. Yeah. Yeah. And you can pass those around to anybody in the keyword. It's any keyword model and in Von Schill 1, any minion. Um, but that's very relevant. So, yeah. So, no, that's great. And you mentioned you mentioned Carve that uh, I just realized that I had not talked about the encounter yet. So, yeah. So, round four, uh, standard and Carve and Vendetta, Assassinate, Set the Trap, In Your Face, and Secret Meetup. So, yeah, you're looking at this going... Carve and I love the fact that Von Schill is kind of deceptively good at carve, just like you said. Yeah. Like I'm looking at the cards and I don't see any leaps, so I'm like, I wouldn't necessarily think of Von Schill for carve. Yeah, right. Like, oh yeah, it's, you know, this is yeah. easy. It's one of those things where the the crew is d- deceptively fast and deceptively good at at scheming um, in certain situations, and depending on the tools you bring. Um, my favorite thing about the crew is that literally everything with with the Frycore name on it is relevant and playable in 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 certain situations. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to hire Lazarus in most situations, but sometimes when you have a lot of terrain, um, it becomes relevant. And so, <laughs> no, that's great. Uh, so yeah, uh, and yeah, and that uh, actually, I wanted to ask about Lazarus, but I'll save that for the crew building thing. So I, yeah. I, I love the Lazarus sculpt, and so that's one of those things that I'm always like looking Absolutely. for an opportunity to play him, but. Uh, at, I don't play Von Schill, but it's always interesting to me when I when I see that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But anyways, but yeah, so shift into right before the game hasn't started, but you now know that your matchup for round four is going to be outcasts. And so I'd kind of like to start this section with a question from Diceman. Uh, Diceman87, who's Jim Dyson, um, uh, who'd asked on Discord about your selection on Master. And so you're facing an outcast matchup and you were kind of thinking Von Schill anyways, but what are you expecting to see from the other place? 
uh, from the other side of the table? Are you are you thinking that they're probably thinking Von Chill and you're like, oh, this is going to be a Von Chill mirror? And then how does that play out? And so, yeah, could you talk to us about what happened is through your brain as you saw that it was an outcast versus outcast thing for round four? Yeah, definitely. Um, I maintain that Von Schill in Outcasts is probably the most flexible master to declare. Um, okay. Because I can pivot from spreading out and covering the entire board to hyper-focus hyper killing individual models, all based on how I build the crew and what versatiles I take and stuff like that. Um, so beyond just the the opinion that Von Schill is the safest choice into most uh, pools, um, I think that in Outcast specifically... Certain outcast crews are very good at counteracting other specific outcast crews. I think that, like, like because I was thinking about Tara as my other my other option, and Tara does not like seeing anything with a lot of hand pressure, like Jackdaw or right. um, or Von Schill, or uh, doesn't hate seeing Leviticus as well. Oh yeah. Um, and <laughs> I mean, everybody hates seeing Leviticus. True. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um. Tara also doesn't particularly like the Vix because the Vix are one of the few masters in Outcast at least they can keep up with her. Okay. And yeah. so my other my other option uh, that I was seriously considering playing in the tournament as a whole, um, I pretty quickly just kind of set aside. So yeah, so you're like, it's going to be Von Chills. Okay. Yeah. That uh, and and also round four is always so fascinating to me because did did you know did did Ambrose release the the matchups before the evening? Did you have to think about it all night? Is what no. I'm wondering. Did you find yourself second guessing or whatever? No, I I believe Ambrose didn't release the pairings until the next morning. Um, I had just based on 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 like placement and ra- on rankings, I had kind of a guess between like two or three people I would I would be going into. Okay. Um, but that didn't really give me very much information because I think it was, I think it was Corey who was playing Outcast. I think it was somebody else playing Neverborn. And I don't remember who the third option was. Probably 10 Thunders, I think. But okay. anyway, there, I didn't really have much of a way to prepare for the matchup, though I definitely did spend some time thinking about the pool a little bit more and what my options were going into it. Yeah, because you, you're in the same position as, as Doug was now. You're 2-0-1, and, oh and one, I guess. Yeah. You're like, I've got, I've got a shot at this. Let's see how it goes. And so there's a little pressure. Um, and yeah, but so it's it's actually refreshing to me to hear that you didn't spend all night second guessing your your choice of masters because you weren't necessarily sure what it was going to be. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, that's cool. So, all right. Um, uh, another question, kind of a follow on from Di- from Dicebin eighty seven was: Have you ever practiced the Von Schill mirror? And really, the question is here is not so much just about Von Schill versus Von Schill, but just when you're possibly playing a mirror you know you know that he's super flexible and is a good choice into this pool your opponent obviously knows that too yeah how do you play a mirror or how do you think about a mirror i i have not yet been able to enjoy playing a mirror um okay i would love to do that um it sounds super fascinating to me like just because at that point you have the same toolbox it's a matter of what tools you pick and how do you use them and so like for Von Schill specifically, I think that it, it comes down to a lot of what your core game plan is with your uh with with models like like what is what is Hannon doing in a game against another Von Schill? Are you bringing Arik in a game against Von Schill? I think the answer is yes. 
Um, okay. Or, or what, what versatile titles are you bringing? Like my my thought going into Von Sch- playing against Von Schill, either one, honestly, um, would be to bringing because I don't normally hire Arik. He isn't a default for me, um, yeah. but he is a constant option. And so I think it's definitely be an Arik game. I think it's also a Catalan Brawler game for me. Okay. Um, because that's I, cool. I'm a huge fan of the Brawler. Just the fact that one model can the single activation. Uh, give something stunned, staggered, and move it five inches. Yes. Um is can be crippling. And there's a lot of there's a lot of uh Frycore that does not like stunned or particularly like staggered either. So yeah. the uh, uh I do have to say you mentioned you mentioned Hamlin earlier and I had uh uh, somebody used the Catalan Brawler against me in a Hamlin crew, and it was the yep. most insane thing. I have done with... that as well. I oh really, really like the Brawler on Hamlin. Yeah, disease containment unit plus... Yep. But anyways, but this is obviously not a Hamlin podcast, so I will not circle yet. it back. So, okay. <laughs> next, not yet. The next not yet. tournament I win with Hamlin, we'll talk, we'll talk about Hamlin. Okay, I go. am looking forward to that. So anyways, so you ended up declaring Von Schill. You saw Vix on the other side. And you weren't sure whether it was one or two, but you saw Vix. And so could you talk through your crew and why you picked what you did against Vix? And then I'm specifically interested just personally in Lazarus and why you didn't play Lazarus in this. I think I get Definitely. it, but but I wanted to hear your, your thoughts on the crew. Yeah. P.S. Lazarus. Yeah. Going into the Vix, I knew that one of the biggest problems that the Vix run into is that the Victorias themselves, either, either version, don't really have any way to get through damage reduction tech like armor and shielded. Yeah. Um, but the Ronin ha- naturally ignore armor on their melee. And you are always going to see at least one Ronin in Vex, sometimes more, just depending on, the, on what's happening. And so I knew that I would need to, need, need to be mitigating a lot of damage coming in, um, because Ronin, your mercenary is just a high damage keyword, period. Um, I also knew that there's only so much I could really do to slow them down, because they're really fast. Um, Ronin are almost always going to have one or criminal on them, so they're not being able to be charged. They're moving like seven inches before they activate over the course of the turn. So much movement. Um, yeah. My God. They're, they're insanely fast. There's nothing I can really do about that. And so I pivoted my focus on they're going to have the run of the outside edges of the board. And so I really, really want to control the middle. Okay. I want to set myself up for the most reliable push through the center of the board that I can. Um, because really the, the, the offensive threats that they have to put out are the Vix and to a lesser extent models like Vanessa. But outside of that, yeah. their offensive potential is mostly minions. And a lot of those are min two, which I can mitigate, um, by having a lot of shielded, which is why I went with Von Schild two, because when Von Schild two passes an upgrade to someone else, he gives that, that model shielded. And so by creating that sort of shielded like battery uh, around the center of the board, my goal was to essentially shut him, shut him out of the middle of the board as best I could and force him to run those, those carve markers as far to the edges as he, as he could. And I was hoping to catch one of them in the middle of my crew and just hold on to it. And I, and, and, and I managed to do that kind of. Okay. Um, but I have had a lot of success in the past with just, I've just camped hannah on top of my an enemy card marker before 
Then you're just and like, come and get it. Like, if you'd like you to can, engage. Like, because, because you don't need line of sight to kick the marker, technically, you can still get into her, into her and kick it. But then you're engaged with Hannah, which is not a good place to right. be. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, so, yeah, you get to do that once. But, but yeah. it's not a... It's, <laughs> you're just feeding a model to, to Hannah every time you want to kick that marker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, other, the other thing I have in mind was that um, one trick that I... Uh, what one one line of play in Von Schill that I keep wanting to try, um, and that actually managed to work out fairly well in this game is I thought the metallurgist has uh, vent steam, um, yes. to create a, a three inch aura of concealing and hazardous, and then Hannah can with her bonus action copy that. Oh, oh, um, oh. and so you create two a a three inch bubble off of a fifty millimeter model, yeah, that is then going to be doing her best to be in your face. Yeah, <laughs> and that just oh, why that do you hate people so much? That, that's just hateful and mean. <laughs> oh my god! To be fair, like, in this situation, <laughs> they dived into my hazardous bubble, but <laughs> yeah. they, they have one of their own as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I hate that hazardous bubble with the mix. Oof. Yeah. But no, that's great. So yeah, so you had uh, a pretty good feel for your game plan. Kind of yeah. what were what was your thoughts on? Oh, and what schemes did you end up picking out um, of? So we actually both took. Um, let me double check. Looks like so assassinate we actually, and vendetta. We both we both took assassinate and vendetta. Okay, like and uh, do you recall what models you took and what Corey took? Um, yeah. So for my for vendetta, I believe was yeah. So I had the metallurgist targeting okay. Yannick, and Versus Corey their Yannick. had yeah, okay. yeah, their Yannick, and then Corey had um Big Jake targeting my metallurgist okay and that triangle came into play later that was very okay. entertaining triangle oh that's awesome um the only thing more funny than having the triangle with vendetta is having two models having vendetta against each other that's yeah. my favorite thing to happen yeah it's very fun to have that happen um hilarious yeah also just to touch on lazarus very briefly um i like lazarus um against a in any pool where i feel like my opponent is going to be bun bunching up um, and because that, uh, shockwave two dam damage three, um, I'm not really looking for damage out of Lazarus. I'm looking for cards. I'm looking to drain my opponent's hand as, as much as possible. Um, and if Doug had bun bunched up more in our game, uh, there would have been not only Lazarus shots, but also, um, the grenade belt grenades going into that bubble. Um, and that's been... It's really effective when it's effective, but when it doesn't work out, Lazarus doesn't do too much, um, yeah. which is the downside. Yeah, no, that's that's the uh, whatever. I, I I played Bayou as a general rule and have mm -hmm. had plenty of Wong activations that were amazing and plenty of Wong activations where you're like, well, that was three fazaps and I didn't do jack, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So, okay. No, but thanks for sharing that. I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, I mean, one important thing to note on that is oh, yeah. that if you're playing into a crew that you know is not going to have good card draw, doing yeah. a lot of oh, yeah. simple duels yep. just it drains their hand down and then, you know, they're playing with the top of their deck instead of a yeah. good hand. I've also found it incredibly useful into crews that do have good card draw because it mitigates their card draw. If I know that an, an, an opponent has a bubble that generates card draw, like, like I play against Syndicate um, uh, semi-regularly and uh, they draw plenty of cards because they have Yannick in keyword. 
um, but they also tend to bubble up. And so Shockwaves really drain that hand and mitigate the card draw, which Syndicate Ridge relies on. Yeah, now that makes sense. That uh, one other crew question that I wanted to ask about was just the 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 Yannick card draw engine and bringing a free core engineer. And I've I've seen uh, Von Schell players bring two free core engineers. You brought one in this. Do you ever play with two? Is one about the sweet spawn on stones invested in card draw versus versus stones invested in actually <laughs> gaining points? You know, yeah. Uh, where's the right point? And some of our listeners may not even be familiar with kind of what I'm calling the Yannick card draw engine. So yeah, can you just kind of talk through some of your thoughts on Yannick? Gladly. I have a lot of thoughts about Yannick. You're going to have to make me stop talking at some point. I can go forever. All right. We will do that. <laughs> no, no, you're good. But yeah, so Yannick has an ability on the front of her card called Ingenuity, which is a six-inch aura that says that never find the model within that bubble would discard a card if they're within two inches of a scheme mar- a friendly scheme marker. They can discard the scheme marker to draw a card instead. So it replaces the discard effect with a draw. At the cost of a scheme marker. Yeah. That's a two-card swing. It is. It is exactly yeah. a two-card swing, which is part of the reason why it's so disgusting. Anything with a lot of discard engines, it's like a... It, it functions a lot like a... a, a like an aristocrat stack in Magic, if you're familiar with that. You're, you're, you're using a cost to generate a benefit, um, which is kind of silly because there's not a whole lot of that, that does that in this game, in Malifaux. But... When it happens, it works pretty well. And so Frycor is notorious for ma- manipulating Yannick because the engineer has an ability where that has a cost of discarding a card. And when the ability resolves, you draw a card as a part of the effect. Um, and so normally that's that's card neutral or like half a card positive because you're cycling a, a, a bad card, theoretically. But with Yannick, you're instead drawing two cards. And because, that, because that, that, that's a bonus action, strength and armor, you are able to, with the engineer, interact, use the ability, draw two cards, and have one AP left, um, which gets really silly. Combine that with with Von Schill one, the ability to have shouting orders Freikor on Von Schill one. You have your entire crew being able to take an action and a bonus to focus and draw a card. Uh, things get really out of hand. Um, yeah. I personally am not a big fan of running the double engineer setup. I find that it's almost too many cards to make good use out of. Okay. Um, it also requires a lot of... That's that's three models sitting in your back line not really doing very much. Right, just a card engine. Even if they are able to kind of slowly scoot up the board and kind of go for, like... They, they can go sit on, like, a, 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 a guard the stash marker or something like that on, like, turn three, turn four, maybe. For the most part, they're just not doing very much. And that's, what, uh, 19 stones, I think? Yeah, 19 stones which is almost half your crew. So I'm not a big fan of, of the two engineers, but one engineer is something I, I very much enjoy. And even without Yannick, I'd probably be bringing an engineer um, just because they're, they're they're independently really, really strong. Yeah. Um, they they love holding rocket launchers. <laughs> yes. Everybody everybody loves holding rocket launchers. There's just, yeah. that's like one of those ha- laws. Hannah's not usually though. the big fan of the rocket launchers. She has better things to do with her actions. Okay, um, so that makes sense. But yeah, but... there's this upgrade priority, something else I could go on forever about. <laughs> no, that's awesome. So, and, and I do throw that out in that anybody who wants to talk in like as much depth as you can imagine, please, uh, our Discord community is in the show notes uh, as always. And uh, come on in and look for Bathysphere and they will be happy to talk to you for uh, for 
longer than we have Ever. for this show uh, <laughs> yes. about uh, pros and cons on uh, on just about anything outcast but certainly von Schill. so yeah primarily Freikor. i'm i'm expanding into other outcast stuff more <laughs> no that is great you know i'd like to ask uh do you have you found a spot for Freikormen? absolutely constantly Freikormen are incredible um they are i really really like the Freikormen. um they are I find that they they last far above their weight class. Um, as a five stone model, they have armor one and they have um, uh, survivalist or so healing additional whenever you're healing them. Um, I they're they're almost a default in some in some setups. If I'm bringing certain models, if I'm bringing certain models, and my list is like just a little bit squeezed in one, one, one way or another, our Freikor is a great default. is a great default. Um, I've had great success slapping a uh, pair of rocket boots on them and a uh, assault shield, which gives them uh, arcane shielded too. Um, so, now, so now they have a leap with a built-in suit and arcane shielded two and armor one, and an ability on their card that lets them say whenever they would discard a equipment upgrade, they can take a damage to not discard it, which is not irreducible, which means it comes out of the out of the shielded first. Right. And so I've had a I've had Freikorman single-handedly score spread them out or break wow. through because they can just run down down a down a flank on turn two and just sit in the back corner of the, of, of the map and score points. Fantastic. And they're ruthless. They are ruthless. Yes, that is the other important thing. Oh, they are a five-stone model with ruthless. That's huge for those crews that really rely on terrifying because suddenly. Yeah. Because most of the time they're like, all right, well, maybe you're, you know, your big boys are going to have either the stuff to the uh, willpower to mitigate it or various other stuff. You tend to see ruthless on a big, scary model. This is a ruthless on, you know, oh, a five cost minion. You don't expect that. I was literally just looking at this here going. No. Yeah. They're one of, I believe, four or five models in Outcasts total that have ruthless. Yeah, it's like Johan, who nobody wants uh, to take. No, Freikorman. it's 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 Freikorman von Schill to Taylor, um, the new uh, ancient constructs, oh, and yeah, possibly yeah. one more. I'm not 100 percent sure. Those those are the main ones. Hans Hans has this. Uh, Hans, yes, that's, that's the other one. Okay. Um, who some people like. I've never taken Hans, but yeah, I I'm a huge fan of Freikorman. Um, they are they are still five seven models and they die, but you know so and and the because you had taken freikorman in this pool right i did yeah you took one with one yeah. criminal and so could you talk through the the yeah adding two you know so now so now that that that, that young uh, man or woman is a is a seven stone model and so um yeah what's what was your thought on on wanted criminal in particular just for running down the flanks and but you were winning the center so yeah could you talk to your your thought process there um a big part of one on criminal for me with um with the Freikorman specifically is that two inch movement. Okay. Um and the ability to not be charged. Like we're less worried about trying to like in this pool I was less worried about trying to scheme up the side of the board because we're not looking at at spread them out or breakthrough. Um but in this case I'm looking for someone that can stand in between like physically body block for my backline against the Vex. Because you can't productively charge because they, they have disguise. 
Yeah, okay. And they're, like, physically in the way of you getting to my backline that you can charge, theoretically. Um, and so that was a huge part of that um, lineup. Also, um, I wasn't sure if they would be trying to do um, either a secret meetup or set the trap, I believe. Yeah, one of the schemey ones. Yeah, the, the ability to pick up scheme markers as a bonus action can be invaluable in that situation. Okay, so no, that's that's super useful. So yeah, Thrykorman may be part of your normal loadout. You sounds like you bring them yeah. often, but that wanted criminal sounds like wanted very criminal is an outlier for this pool. Okay, yeah, no, that's that great. Thank outlier. you, thank you very much for talking through that. So cool. Um, so let's go ahead and move to the game. That uh, and yeah, I would love to hear about just kind of broadly open it up for interesting lines of play. Some of the key moments in this game. Yeah. I actually, I'd like to take a moment to talk about my opponent's crew. This is ingenious. Oh yeah, please do. I'm sorry. Yeah, thank you. It's 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 ingenious. I think it had a couple of flaws, but it was it, it, it was it was very very clever, and kind of blew, blew blew me away when I first saw it. I was like, what? Who hires two desperate mercenaries? What? what? Crazy people. Yeah. 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 So yeah. my my opponent's crew was uh they had they had Big Jake. And Vanessa in Victoria Chambers Twin Blade, so Vix Two, um, with Soldier for Hire to give her hard to kill mainly, um, and then Vanessa, Big Jake, a Ronin with one and Criminal, um, and that Ronin ended up just running down down literally the edge of the board, scoring the strategy. That was the entirety of what that that model did. Yep, doing Ronin things. Heck yeah, <laughs> heck yeah. Um, but then they had Yannick, two Catalan Riflemen, and two Desperate Mercenaries. Which blew my mind when I was first looking at it. Like, what? What is this? What are you doing? And then I saw it in action and it was kind of insane. Yeah, it's like the sword ladies and the gun line. Yeah. Yeah. It was a fascinating little gun line. Because, so, as we explained, Yannick turns discard into card draw at the cost of a scheme marker. Um, Different mercenaries, like the rest of the, of the mercenary keyword, have the ability to scoot, uh, I believe, two inches um during the start phase so uh battle tempo so they had a little bit of a little bit of movement on their own they were able to turn one they, they they walked up the board and interacted to drop a scheme marker and then turn two uh they stood there um he ate those scheme markers turn one for for, for card draw and then turn two they sat there with rapid fire and they interacted rapid fired to draw a card and make two attacks. And it was fascinating. And then backing that up, the Catalan Rifleman, using the uh, using Yonick's uh, Shouting Orders Syndicate, were able to interact, draw a card and focus, take a focus shot. Okay, um, yeah. At 14 inches on a stat 5. Which was surprisingly yeah. effective. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, it's only, they're what, 135 damage track, I think? Um, but it's... Yeah, the, the Desperate Mercenaries are um they have broken down rifles so they have uh yeah one three five one three five stat five but yeah you're and it you're was with focus you're gonna be leaning towards the three five even if you get one at least you get rid of one of your dang shielded and so yeah no that's, that's it was, actually very cool it was really interesting they um you managed to put a significant dent into von shell two like on top of turn two okay um, they managed to put like i think i think five wounds onto him 
Okay. Um, Not through quite armor and shield. Assassinate point, but no, but like, it was uh-oh. significant. It was significant <laughs> enough yeah. that I had to dedicate time to healing it back up. You know, but he also drew like I think like drew easily four cards every turn with doing that. <laughs> and you're like, Vix, Vix don't have any card draw. Like, didn't you get the memo? <laughs> yeah, which yeah. fuels the Vix engine. That's that's some craziness, right? That is some. Yeah. That is some wow. crazy crew building right there. I love yeah, it. Yeah, it was super, super interesting. Um, I think that there was... Uh, I was able to exploit that a little bit by blasting into the the defense four uh, Desperate Mercenaries with a rocket launcher. Um, which I think is kind of inherently the downside of using them that way. But it was still really interesting to watch and so fun to think about. Um, I started taking Yannick and a Kylan Rifleman as a like side core in other crews um after seeing it because it just let they get to walk around and draw cards and just hang out yeah um for every now and then you stunts. shoot things for a 12 stuff at, at a five yeah you're doing five damage every now yeah. and then what the heck yeah. oh <laughs> it, was like, it was impressive <laughs> plus you just get the flex you know of bringing yeah. <laughs> desperate mercenaries and Catlin yeah. riflemen and then and then when i killed them they drew two cards off of it because they had demise, demise expendable. Like it was great. Wow. Um, it was very very fun to watch. Uh, that's cool. So you mentioned kind of at the top of the show about how you were able to use you know knowledge of this against them. That 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 this was really just game knowledge really helped out on this. So, yeah. So 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 facing that, and you're like, I'm I'm fascinated by this. But how were you able to turn this like? Kind of the academic, oh my gosh, this is the most interesting crew I've ever seen. Maybe not the most, but up there. You know, very, Definitely very interesting crew into, shit, I have to beat this crew now. How did, how did you go yeah. through that transition? Um, a significant part of it was whenever I'm in, a, I'm in a position where I don't know what to do to counteract a thing, I, I, will, I will default to looking at what my tools that I have actually do and how I can okay. leverage those in, in this situation. And a huge thing that helped here was the Metallurgist Vet Steam, providing okay. uh, a a uh, concealment aura against those guns. Yes, that was huge. Yeah, you're like, thank you for your gun line. I've got concealment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then um, I was able to. Um, the other thing that the, the, the other problem that I found that I found that uh, Vix Two present I didn't I didn't really recognize uh, until I was. Staring, staring at it, looking at the card. But Vix Two has bulletproof two, and has uh, combat finesse. You can't cheat against them in melee when you attack them in, me- in melee, which makes them deceptively difficult to, t- to take down because you can't melee them productively because you can't cheat. So your opponent, because because he was drawing so many cards, was able to oh you you flip the seven here's an eight. Yeah, exactly. And it just was a really tough nut to crack. Um. So I was looking at it and I realized that I had two non-gun range attacks on uh, Hannah and mm. the librarian in uh, Ancient Words. And I was able to use that to really leverage into uh, pinning the... Uh, I pinned they tore the Vix down in melee, I believe with the Frykorman, um like they were ended up engaging the fry corman um, after an, after an activation, and I put I just put two moderates off of off of focus shots with uh, ancient words, and it, it's it's a moderate of four, 
And so that was way more damage than they were expecting. And um, so I was able to secure points that way by, by mainly being really familiar with what my options are and being able okay. to quickly examine my toolbox, go, here's my problem, here's my tool. And it's not quite the right shape, but it's close. Um, yeah, that is great. The other situation I was able to do that in was, again, um, because the Freikormen don't have to discard their upgrades, um, this Freikormen was toting around a rocket launcher the whole game. Well, until he died. Oh, he, nice. he, he did die. But he got a rocket, rocket, launcher, rocket launcher shot every turn. Um, and that was a huge part of what, like, Von Schill, Von Schill 2 gave himself the rocket launcher, shot into the Desperate Mercenaries, chunked them significantly, tossed the rocket launcher to the Freikormen, and the Freikormen finished them off, I believe. Um, <laughs> oh, this is like, and it's so like, just like, I want to see this movie. It's so cinematic. I want to watch the movie of this game. Yeah, it's the most cinematic yeah. thing, you know? <laughs> and it's just, I can just totally see Von Schill ordering this poor Freikormen. Dude, you get to go, like, hold off the Vix. Have a nice day. <laughs> you yeah, know? But it, that's was, it was very really fun. I show you how to do it. Now you do it too, eh? Yeah. Um, <laughs> there was a really, really interesting point where um, the the Vix um, have an ability where they can it, they can they can chuck a model the Vix two and I believe off a trigger on it it deals damage that ignores armor. Yeah, combat maneuver. It's a target number thirteen defense dual suffer three damage ignoring armor, and they were able to get in and use that on the steam trunk. Oh my gosh! Which is three health armor two. With a big explosion thing. Tossed, tossed it into, like, like three of my models. Oh, my God. And, <laughs> and then exploded. That it. was a significant part of how they scored part of, uh, I believe, Vendetta. Okay. Or, or, or no, uh, Assassinate. It was part of how they scored Assassinate, because they... By throwing the steam trunk. Okay. Von Schill, Von Schill got caught in that blast mm-hmm. and, took two, and, and took two damage. Oh, that's so funny. I'm like, this is just again. This needs to be a movie. Like, I, it was I wish so you guys had streamed the game, but even better would be watching the movie. Watching, the yeah, video. it was it was really really good. So no, that's great. The uh, any other so kind of uh, uh, other key moments in the game that uh, yeah, I, I love the cinematography of it. But yeah, what was the, yeah. what was the, the toughest move that you had? The, the toughest move that I had um, was on turn five, trying to get. Um, I had. Over the course of the game, I basically punted both of my uh, carve markers kind of to the center right of, center right of the board and moved them up kind of together that way. Um, but I got into a position where I had one of my markers in the opponent's deployment zone and the other one just outside of it. I did I did a bunch of stuff to try to get that marker into the deployment zone. I just couldn't get there with everybody else's activations. And so I had to take Von Schill. And who was, I believe, was engaged by at least one model. He was definitely engaged by Vanessa. Maybe it's maybe someone else as well. But definitely Vanessa was able to uh, bulldoze out of engagement. Found him up motivation, something to give himself a uh, rocket boots. Leap with the rocket boots. Walk and then interact with the, mar- with the marker. Which I was like, like, in real space, it was like 14 inches as the bird flies. Nice. But it was, like, it was like around buildings and stuff. Yeah. To score to score that fourth point on on carve. And that was the kind of thing where because I knew what I was working with, I felt confident in doing that. Um and it was very much a like we we were the score was really, really close until I believe like end of turn four. 
Oh, that's such. And then the, so the, the, the end, game. the end points. Um, that 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 last point of assassinate, and the uh, fourth point on car really swung things. The other thing that I thought was really entertaining to me was the triangle of vendetta, because oh yeah, I didn't score the first point of vendetta until turn four. Okay. Because things just conspired against me. Yannick was way far away from everything. The metallurgist was not able to get to move into, into position. It was a whole thing. And so eventually, I think bottom of turn four, I was able to score the first point of Vendetta. And then, um, at which point my opponent had not scored Vendetta at all. And so going into turn five, um, partially because the metallurgist was in the back of my crew, miles away from Big J. Yeah. Um, and so positioning just conspired against both of us in that in that moment. But in the end, um, I was able to my um, the metallurgist survived because they couldn't guarantee that I wouldn't kill Big Jake on turn five. Okay, if he like popped up because yeah because okay. because how, because of how Big Jake's demise works. Um, if he if he gets down if he, if he goes down if he if he dies he buries. And then you can unbury at the start of a turn. But it was turn five, so you can't unbury. And if at the end of the game a model is buried, it dies. So you couldn't guarantee that you'd get that second point for killing the, the metallurgist. And I would and, and gave me enough space to, after he dropped the metallurgist to half to score that first point, he actually cheated down on damage to not kill the metallurgist with Big J. And let, left the metallurgist at like one. Um and then I was able to turn around, heal the Metallurgist with the uh, Librarian to prevent the next activation, like one of the last activations, activations of the game, from killing her. Which ended up denying that second point of Vendetta and scoring me the second point of Vendetta because my Vendetta, friendly by Vendetta model, was alive. Was alive. And so that was oh. such an awkward situation because at that point Yannick was dead. I had killed her, I think, at the beginning of that turn. To score, to get, so it was a very interesting scoring interaction. Yeah. Um, I love running into those weird corner cases like that. Yeah. No, that's great. Where you're like, oh, if this goes this and, and, um, yeah. So, um, we talked, um, so you were playing with clocks through this and that this is this turn five. Did you end up with a ton of time or were you having to make all of these kind of decisions with like, you know, seconds left kind of thing? I want to say this game, we each had close, like a little under 10 minutes each. On, t- on the clock. This, this one didn't run super tight. Most of my other games did. Um, most of my other games were either extremely close or one or the other of us clocked out like mid-late turn five. Yeah. Um, I remember, yeah, we had, we had, we had a lot of, of, the clocks never really got to the point where it was, it was, it was hurried on a couple of those turn five activations. Um, but it never really felt like, like clocking out changed scoring. Okay. Particularly much. Okay. Which is just, so I, I, I love playing with clocks personally. Um, and I love the turn four and turn five interactions, particularly when, yeah. you, when you are running out of time, especially cause you're like turn five is so important. There can be so swingy and you really have to think through it, but you don't always have the time to think through it. Sounds like you had the time to think through it. Uh, in this case, yeah, anyway, a little bit. Okay, no, that's great because yeah, that's a very complex 
situation that you described going on with the kind of the little three-way vendetta thing and uh uh and so i can only yeah. imagine you know making yeah, the right I, decisions under time pressure it was the hate tougher. triangle yeah, yes the exactly. hate triangle yeah <laughs> and those weird corner case interactions are a huge part of why i love this game so much like i described the game to new to new players as all the corners there's no there, there's no default Every crew mm-hmm. is a corner case. Everything is is weird in some way. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great way to describe it. I love it, love it. So, alrighty, the um, uh, MVP model. What was what was the MVP model for this game? I think it would probably have to be the metallurgist, okay. um, because one of the things that I find with um, I I always take the metallurgist with Von Schill too, because being able to pass out more upgrades through her is extremely useful. Um, But in this case, she was able to just be manipulative enough and between handing out extra upgrades um, and extra movement, because that ability to give out upgrades also gives, I think, three or four inches of movement um, toward a scrap marker or friendly construct in line of sight, I believe. Um, But yeah, three inches toward a friend construct or scrap marker in line of sight. Anyway, um, and then combine that with her option of command conflict as well, um, which has temper steel, which prevents armor from being ignored built in on it. Um, really just prov- just swung a lot of things. Okay. Um, had a lot of options. She really denies your opponents a lot of uh, avenues of approach. Yeah, no, that's cool that it's uh, whenever you see the denial style model showing up as an MVP, that's 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 always it makes for an interesting game as well. Yeah. And so, no, that's great. So already shifting to the after the game and looking back, something that we always like asking is just advice that you would give to, to other folks uh, kind of based on this game. So for a bottom third player, someone who is facing Von Schill 2 for the first time ever, um, uh, what kind of things, what kind of advice would you give them? What kind of gotchas do they need to watch out for? Von Schill 2 is going to do a lot more than you expect him to hmm. at face value. Just just, just looking at, the, at, at his card, like reading his card for the first time, you're not going to expect how many effective actions he's going to generate on his turn and how far his reach is. He has, he has an 8-inch aura of passing out these upgrades. Like, yeah. it's it's it's... And lot, shielded. Oh. And shielded. It's, it's a lot broader and a lot more impactful than you expect. Um, and Frycore as a whole is just a lot more resilient um, than Armor 1 on everything would initially suggest. Right. Um, and is way faster than things would initially suggest because, like you said, not, not, nothing has Leap printed on the card. But everything has Leap as an option. Everything has Arcane Shielded 2 as an option. Everything has a 12-inch gun. If I needed to. Well, yeah, um, I mean, that, having so much of that armor out there, plus then the option to get shielded either from that shield or yep. from the, hey, have a rocket launcher, get some shielded. That suddenly means that you have to do min three to touch them. Yeah. And so that, that's, that, that's a, that's a Surprise. huge thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that for a bottom third player, um, for for anyone trying to to learn and increase their skill, uh, Frycore is really good at teaching target priority. Okay, because if you if you deal two damage to every model in my crew, I don't care. Right. Yeah. Like if you, if you deal, yeah. yeah. But if you deal six damage to one model, that's suddenly a much bigger problem. 
So focusing down individual models don't give them the chance to uh, to recover is really the only way to take things down reliably in Vicor. Okay, no, that's great. Great advice. Thank you. How about for that middle third player? The uh, uh, folks who they're experienced and they're trying to give you a challenging game. But yeah, what kind of things would you think for the majority of players, uh, tournament players? I think that a big part of at least how I t- tend to approach Von Schill is a lot of crews want to play their own game and want their opponent to play their game. And while Von Schill doesn't necessarily have a game that he wants his opponents to play, he's very, very good at not playing his opponent's game. Okay. And so if you can pick apart and examine where you can afford to fold your game plan and absorb the momentum that I'm putting into you, if you, if you, if you can pick sacrificial models, if you, can, if you can get something in the way of what I'm trying to do to disrupt how you're playing the game, you're gonna have a lot better time because I'm not. If I can't get Hannah into your backline, if I can't get that rocket launcher shot on that critical model that you need to score points, because you have something else blocking line of sight, because you move me out of out of position, disruption is a huge, uh, a huge tool against Frycore, but they're only susceptible to certain types, really. Things like concealment, things like distracted. They really don't, don't like don't like distracted effects. Um, or just impose negatives as a whole. No, that's great. That uh, so yeah, pile on some of some of the conditions, kind of stuff that you have a hard time dealing with. Yeah, and, uh, like, and okay, Tricor no, is good at removing conditions by outcast standards, which means they have one keyword model that can remove conditions uh, reliably. Okay, nice. So, how about for the top third? Uh, what kind of advice would you give maybe yourself? You know, if, uh, what do you wish that you had done differently in this game? Um, honestly, I wish that I had uh, taken a little bit more time to examine what my opponent was bringing. Okay. And before kind of questioning, like, what are you? I waited for him to show me what uh, the the his 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 plan was, um, and how it cost me uh, a bunch of activations. And a bun- and and several stones to try to tank through uh, a volley of like eight shots. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I think that that paying really close, close attention to your opponent and their positioning, keeping your toolbox open, because I wish that I had understood a little bit better uh, that the correct choice into into. Uh, Vex 2 was the Librarians. If I had understood that, I probably would have bought a second one. Uh, okay. It's not an uncommon thing for me to do. Yeah. Keep that steam uh, trunk open. Yeah. yeah keep this. Yeah, Ooh. exactly. Exactly. Um, and like, you know, and I, I feel like I scored quite well in this game, but I feel like I definitely could have prevented a lot more points um, okay. from being scored. What was the final score on this game? Um, it was seven to five. Mm. Yeah. Okay. A seven to five. Um, yeah. And so, I wanted to go a little on that because, yeah, because it definitely is a different list. You know, yeah, you see de- Desperate Mercenaries. And so and and I don't want to poke Corey at all if they're listening to this. Right. I am 100 percent not because it was a very clever list. But I'm like, I see Desperate Mercenaries and I'm instantly going like, what is this guy doing in round four facing me? You know, like, how could this guy yeah. possibly be undefeated? Right. <laughs> and like, he was he was two and one at that point. Okay, like, got it. Okay, his, his, record, his record was was strong at that point. Yeah, and uh, and so, but it would be easy to dismiss that 
And like, you have to not. And so having, I think that that's a really yeah. good lesson that you mentioned for top tier players is you see something that's kind of off the wall and you're like, oh, this, this, this list must suck, you know? And then it's like yeah. five stones later or whatever it was. You're like, maybe it doesn't suck as bad as I thought it did. Yeah. <laughs> you know? like, maybe. Like, like, I, before the tournament, I would have easily argued, I would have, I would have argued for classifying Desperate Mercenaries as the worst model in the game. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Like, like for what for their cost, right? Like, I would have argued that. I don't think I don't think I can really argue that anymore. Um, yeah, like it's like they they have a role. You can find a yeah, place. Yeah, you know, whatever. Find it. They're, yeah, I think they're definitely still still significantly below the curve. But um, give them yeah, back. But you their need old... to respect. You need to yeah. respect even the oddball yeah. you, models. You have that to respect show what your opponent is bringing because you have to always expect that your opponent is bringing it for a reason. Yeah, yeah. that's a. Good point, right there. I mean, and if you're Statement. you're and you're in the mix on round four of a five round tournament, and they put this oddball thing on the table, it's it's kind of that okay. They got they've got a very specific idea that they're going to use this for. What am I missing here? Is the got to yeah. be that feeling? Yeah, and especially like when I was talking to Corey. Um, like as we were setting up for the game after we had confirmed our crews and stuff, he was saying that uh, he was he was soloing this list, this fixed list for the entire okay. game, which I thought was really impressive. Like that was immediately like a, oh, wow. like a oh you got something going on here, yeah. Um, and he was he was he downplayed it a little bit. He was like, I'm not sure how good it is yet necessarily, but we're here we're here stress testing it type of thing, and it was it was really impressive. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, and. No, and I, I just love that as a tip for even top tier players. Like, yeah, respect the oddball models. You know, they may be there for a reason. <laughs> Is uh, I think that that's really, really great. So sweet. Um, we have hit a bunch of stuff that uh, yeah. for for folks, if, uh, again, if you got any questions, uh, we obviously, Nate here would, would love to talk uh, about Von Chill. Uh, talk your ear off. So please drop by our Discord if you'd like. But uh, have we got any other questions or comments from from Duggar Nick? Yeah, you know I've got something, uh, 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 Nate. I don't know if you've seen some of the uh, balance foe discussions online with the Malifaux World Series. Yeah, but, uh, I've been I've been tracking that. Yeah, so Yannick is on that list. Yes. Um, if if you were to play a tournament with Yannick in that state where you weren't able to use uh, uh, her to that uh, degree, would Von Schill be still be as viable for all of the pools and uh, 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 that you were up against for this tournament. I, th I think so. Yes, I've actually I've been giving this some thought recently. I've been getting ready to play in Malifaux World Series stuff going oh, forward. Nice. Um, well, good luck. I'm I, yeah, I, good I, luck. I'm gonna, I'm going to need it. I'm going to need skill. it. Well, good luck and good skills. Um, There's a bunch of killers <laughs> out you. there. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, they're somewhat intimidating, just in terms of how much high quality players are in that yeah. uh, meta. Anyway, I think that that Von Schill is still competitive. I think it def without Yannick at all, takes him down uh, a notable peg. Mm -hmm. I think that he that losing that card draw is really significant. I think that he's still definitely very playable, um, and my plan that I've been working with so far and has worked for me what little little I've been able to test it, is to just swap her one-to-one -one for a second librarian. Because um, 
something that I think a lot of people forget about with the librarians is they have siphon power. So they can deal one damage to a friendly model to add a suit. And on their attack, they have surge as a trigger. And while one librarian for most of the game is spending most of her time healing, a second librarian can very easily take every activation to go, I'm going to shoot you twice with tones built in. Yeah. yeah. On everything. Yes. Oof. And you can even you can even shoot your own models if you really want to. You can shoot, uh, especially in Von Shield 1, you can shoot Von Shield 1 twice, deal two damage off of, off of, off of uh, weeks after armor, draw two cards, and then whenever, when something else heals him, he has survivalist, so he's going to heal two off of a heal one. And just, you, you've just drawn two cards for an activation and yeah. haven't made lots of anything else. Fantastic. That's a solid combo right there. It is. It's, it, it feels really bad when you flip three severes, um, which has happened to me. <laughs> oh, it happens. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the odds but are against that ultimately. The odds are against that. Yes. Yep. For sure. That, uh, one thing I wanted to circle back just real quick because you did mention Malifaux World Series. Um, certainly, a very the actual tournaments that they play uh, within the MWS are super competitive. Some of literally the best players in the world. And so, again, good luck and good skill as you as you uh, uh, do some of that tournament play. But I also wanted to mention, and I'm going to stick it into the uh, make sure that we get it into the the podcast notes for listeners. Many of you, I suspect, are familiar with MWS. But if not, uh, we'll put the Discord in the in the in the show notes. It's also a very good place for people who are familiar with Vassal uh, to play fun and casual games. It is there are some brutally competitive people, but there are a ton of very very friendly people willing to show you how to play on Vassal, um, the online version of Malifo. It's nothing like playing in uh, in real life, but it's pretty cool. And so for those listeners that may not have a meta nearby and regular players or whatever you want to play a few more games than you're currently getting mws is a great place to start in a casual and fun manner as well as a unbelievably competitive manner so anyways we'll stick that discord in the show notes just make sure that you're uh specifying you want to play a casual game oh yeah heck yeah you'll get casual people the yeah. uh something else to note the mws discord is really great very well managed but it's become my go-to place that if um, I can't get a hold of my normal people who know the rules better than I do, if I'm like, hey, how does this rule work? There's a great channel in there. There's yeah. like a like no dumb questions channel or something like that. It's like, hey, yeah. how does this interaction work? Usually I can find someone to answer that within just a couple minutes if I can't get a hold of, you know, Andre or Brian. Yeah, the general quest, general rules questions and no dumb questions are absolutely the most populous uh, channels on that server. <laughs> yeah, useful for new players or a TO when you got that weird, crazy corner case scenario. Like, well, how does this work? In the oh, this is a ha huh, big head scratcher. <laughs> yep, no doubt. So, all right. Well, again, congratulations. Um, fantastic. Uh, uh, completion i guess uh fantastic uh coming in number one out of 23 is great thanks for uh talking to us about von chill 2 uh and everything else on that do you have any plugs before we go nate um yeah i'll, I'll plug my local meta 
Um, we're, we play out of Kent, Washington, just south of Seattle, um, at uh, Game Castle, Kent. Um, if you're in the Seattle area, you're in the, the greater PNW area for any reason, uh, come on down on a Sunday evening and uh, get some games in. We're also, we have a, a Pacific Northwest Discord community that is incredibly active. And uh, great. there's a lot of people there that are that are really passionate about the game. And uh, there's also plenty of uh, Vassal games that happen there too. So get in, get talking, and get games in. That's a, I mean, it's a really great community up there. You all were so welcoming to me coming up there. And I had a blast uh just i mean chatting with and playing games with everyone up there so that was it it, it was great to get away for the weekend and have so much fun up in the pacific northwest with you all definitely just don't be fooled by a summer weather it only lasts like three months the rest of it is is not (laughs) this pretty i love the uh, i love shitty weather though well then you you should move here (laughs) yeah that's no, not up to me. No. <laughs> Texas can't do without you, Doug. We're sorry. <laughs> can't do that. Anyways, uh, do any uh, final comments or plugs from Doug or Nick? As far as plugs go, hey, I'm going to do the plug that I always do. We got the Lone Star Fodown Malifo GT coming up here in Houston, Texas, October 13th through the 15th. Uh, we're aiming to make this the largest event in Malifo, not attached to a convention. As of recording this, we have, ooh, I don't even know how many states represented. We've got guys from Washington. We got people from California, Kansas, Massachusetts. We are international now. We have a ticket sold from Calgary. All right. We got territory. Don't forget uh, Dixon coming up from Puerto Rico. Oh, oh, that's right. I didn't realize Dixon was in Puerto Rico. Why did I not know this? Uh, he didn't well, used we, to be, but he is now, yeah. Oh, yeah, He was in the Carolinas. We've got a great people coming to play from all over the country in a great game store. And if you register before August 25th, we have a custom Fate deck that you get for free if you register before August 25th. So come to the Lone Star Fodown and see if you have the biggest hats. Excellent. There you go. Sweet. All right. Thanks so very much. Uh, Again, appreciate it. And I got nothing else. So let's wrap this up. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming, Nate. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. Very much looking forward to uh, continuing to engage with the Malifaux community as a whole. And uh, definitely one of the most positive places in gaming. Oh, seriously. Totally. 100% agree. So, well, and thank you for being part of our show. And uh, again, do take care. Thank you so much. You too. Thank you very much. Students of Conflict is brought to you by Top Dog Design. Check out topdogdesign.com for all of your Malfo terrain needs. Top Dog Design, 3D printable designs to enhance your tabletop. Students of Conflict is not an official product of Weird Miniatures LLC. All intellectual property belonging to Weird Miniatures is used with permission. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of entities they represent. Any content provided by our guests and or hosts are their opinion and not intended to malign any group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. Woo!
I show you how to do it. Now you do it too, eh?